Money Books with Aaron, Polly, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. You know, we uh, continue our our long sheltering in place. And, you know, Tim has been missing for so long that I I think that we can only assume that the Rona got him. The Rona. The Rona. Oh, yeah, I, I think I think I think I think it got him, Paul. I don't think so. Uh, I figured he just snapped like the red <laughs> raid finally was enough. And, you know, he he ran out and they had to take him down. That, that seems far more likely, doesn't it? Or he took the sh- <laughs> he took one of the Quinjets back into outer space so he could uh, just get away from it all. Oh, I thought maybe you were going to suggest that he flew into the giant space hole. <laughs> no, maybe. <laughs> one of that those things happened. Looks like Stargate. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I feel like uh-huh. one well, of those things very much happened to Tim. It would have one of those things, and you know, we'd be interested to hearing from you, dear listener, on your theory on what in the world happened to Tim. <laughs> Where in the world is Tim? <laughs> well, you know, uh, big news this week. Uh, you know, a, a surprise to absolutely no one. I think uh, <laughs> DC has broken ties with uh, Diamond Distribution. Yeah, you know, this happened. You know, just like, just like your job. DC fired someone on Friday afternoon. <laughs> it's like, you couldn't tell me Friday morning, so I didn't come in today. Um, <laughs> yeah, they wait. They, so DC announced that, you know, they, they had set up this distribution via, I think it's UCS and um, this other company. There's two companies, but essentially it's Midtown yes. Comics and DCBS, right? Um, just under different names. And DC has decided to break their 25-year um distribution deal well i shouldn't say that dc has decided to use the contractual out that they have with diamond distribution and move instead to distributing via these other services and uh, you know i think i think it makes sense and you know diamond is foolish if they thought something like this wasn't going to happen in that they provided no solutions uh during the quarantine Mm -hmm. um you know they you can't just turn the lights off when you know other businesses are at stake. They failed their customer, and their customer is taking their business elsewhere. It's exactly what I would have done. I mean, I, I absolutely understand what DC is doing. Yeah, I mean, if Target shut down during the Rona, during the you know during the pandemic, I'd get all my toilet paper from Walmart. Yeah, that's it's, right. It's kind of <laughs> you know, and that's that's to a lesser extent. That's more of a personal need, but as a business owner, I feel like. Oh, I, you mean I can't get my comics here anymore for the next yeah. two months while I'm trying to keep afloat and, you know, living paycheck to paycheck? Oh, this, well, they I, offer this other option? Let me let me go with that. I need to stay open. I, I, I legit feel like Diamond thought that because they're the only game in town that everyone would be happy to, you know, sit out the quarantine just like they were. And, you know, shame on them. That, that, is, that is somebody who hasn't had to deal with competition thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is somebody who thinks like, ah, you know, that Pepsi, <laughs> Pepsi's nice. not going to come along and take my shit. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and shut down the doors as Coca-Cola for a while. And, uh, you know, other people see that opportunity. We talked about this at the top of the pandemic, you know, that people will recognize opportunity and the guys who act on it will be the guys who are successful. And I bet DC has a much better contract with these people than they did, ever did you know with they uh, do. Diamond. Yeah. 
You know they do. Oh, well, and already they've changed their their uh, district their uh, new comic book day to Tuesday. Yeah. I mean it. <laughs> I mean they're they're just really you know uh, pulling some levers, and I, I'm I I absolutely support it. I absolutely support it. That was the part that made me. Yeah, I already assumed that DC was going to do something, but when they changed their new to- comic book day to Tuesday, that kind of sent a lot of, yep, they're going to cut ties with Diamond. Yeah. And it is, a, I kind of hate the new comic book day on Tuesday from them just because it's confusing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, yeah. And I don't even go out and look until Wednesday. And they're not always listed on the new comics this week. You know, front page. I have to go back and see new comics yesterday. Yeah, Comicsology will definitely figure it out. You know, it's only been a yeah. few weeks, but they'll figure it out to, lo- to figure out how to lump DC's Tuesday releases with everyone else's Wednesday releases and get it all together. Yeah. Um, well, and I I wonder how that works in the retail space though, because customers aren't going to want to go twice a week to the comic book shop, yeah. right? Uh, so, but you know, if you're a collector. I mean, how many times have you had to to adjust your your day to make sure that you got the titles that you wanted to get? Yeah, uh, you know, to make sure you got that cover that you wanted. Um, I, so I, I think that's going to be a real pain in the ass for the customer, and the brick and mortars are going to have to figure that out. I think you're going to see a lot more pull list activity uh, than maybe you saw before. I mean, I know there's a lot of pull list activity going on anyway. But I just think that makes it harder for the retailer, makes it harder for the customer. Well, but you know, on the retailer, right? You know, I do think from yeah. a retailer standpoint, if you are to put DC Comics, and so this is the devil's advocate portion of the conversation, um, because as a retailer, you know, I, I've met, I've, I'm sure we've all spoken with our comic shops in the past, and uh, you know, they they have to, at least they used to have to, right? Like get out to your comic shop at 8 a.m. You know, to take everything or do it the night before, get everything out on the shelves to make, you know, the the, the day and date. Um, you know, the comic, sh- comic distribution made it easier by shipping the comics earlier, but you still have to do it either after hours or before hours on release day. Right. And now you have to do it twice, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and here's the thing. As a shop owner... I don't know how long it takes to put out comics. I, I think, um, I think it, for the guys who merchandise really well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who've got a really nicely articulated new release uh, wall, uh, it takes them a while. Yeah, you know, I you know for those guys who you know are eating their uh, cold wieners behind the uh, behind the counter, uh, <laughs> you know, you'll have to go back and archive to understand that reference. But uh, you know, those guys probably takes them ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I well, don't disagree. <laughs> and you got to move the previously new new comics over to another shelf, and then if DC is the only one putting stuff out, suddenly your new comics looks really empty. Uh huh. Yeah. So you know, it's definitely uh, it it is definitely evolving. I would say, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, you and you have some realers. You have three types of retailers. You have the ones who are like, okay, we'll pivot. You have the ones who are like, yes. F Diamond, F the Monopoly, it's about time. And then you have the retailers who are like, Diamond was trying to take care of us and not forcing us to stay open just so Marvel could make money. So we support Diamond, not DC, who decided to, you know, who was just trying to make money during a pandemic and is now taking advantage of it. Um, So those are the three viewpoints that I've seen. You know, I fall more in the line of the pivot. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, I I mean, from, from, from a customer standpoint... I, I, it, for me, 
from a customer standpoint, Monopoly sounds bad. Monopoly sounds yeah. like Diamond can do whatever the hell they want. They can ship you shitty books, you know, with bad, you know, with damage on them and stuff, and you right. can't do anything about it because they're the only game in town, um, which we've seen. Whereas having this this alternative option, I think that the main concern, just again, outsider point of view, is now DC is only available through this alternative distribution. Instead of saying DC is also available via right. this alternative distribution um because i think what that sets is now 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 you're gonna have we you jump straight from co- com- competitiveness into like distribution more mm-hmm. right um because now we'll see probably other comic because diamond has this um has some strict guidelines you know you have to have a certain print run you know to be distributed via diamond things like that i think these other comic shops uh, you know, this other comic distribution chain or these other comic distributions may offer some alternatives for some of the smaller guys to get, you know, their comics and stores. Um, so, you know, I, I think it'll be very interesting. Well, and so, I think one of the one of the critical things here about, you know, DC breaking away from Diamond is that Diamond really didn't set a level playing field amongst the publishers. You know, Diamond has historically favored Marvel in its distribution. And, you know, so it's yet another reason for DC to to break away. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think competition ultimately is good for the marketplace. So uh, I'm happy to see that this happened. Yeah. So I was talking to a friend of mine that used to run comic book stores locally. And his, uh, his major concern when he first heard the story was that... Diamond has 20, 25 years worth of experience doing this. And these companies that have just spun up out of, you know, out of, uh, was a Midtown Comics and uh, DCBS. DCBS, They don't have that level of experience of being a distributor. So he's a little bit concerned about that. And he basically, the other thing I see out there is, some of the stores don't like the fact that they considered these people competitors and now their competitors are their distributors. They don't like sharing their information with them. They don't like giving money over to somebody they see as a competitor. Yeah. And I've certainly seen that, right? Because they do say that, you know, now with these distribution chains, with these new distribution chains, you'll have access to some legacy material, some back issues, you know, high quality back issues. And really what you're doing is, you're buying from the back issue bins at these DCBS right. and, and, you know, from basically you're buying back issues from your competitors, um, you know, which I, I get, uh, you know, from a comic shop standpoint. But if you want the product, you want the product. Um, right. And I do think that one of the thing, one of the valid complaints that I've seen is when I ordered through Diamond, I paid one shipping charge, you know, one shipping and handling charge because everything came in one. So this does increase the overhead a bit because, you know, it does, you do have to pay for two shipping and handling charges from your different distribution chains. I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, that is true. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch online because us, we're all three guys on this podcast are, uh, <laughs> are, are digital readers, right? right. Um, so, you know, it won't necessarily impact our ability to get comics. Uh, you know, from a first world problem standpoint, really, we're just complaining about the fact that, oh, it's, I have to go to a different day on Comixology well, to get my DC books than my Marvel books. Well, but and the, the reality for me is that I'm on Comixology every day. Yeah. You know, because there's sales every day. And I'm always looking to see if that, if that one comic that's going to make me 
is on sale. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I last thing I'll say on this is that you know again, I think competition's good. I think the plucky startup, you know, whether they are whether they are successful in this or not, uh, brings something new. It you know it added a spark of diversity to the gene pool, as it were. Uh, and I think ultimately we'll all be better off. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes because, you know, one of the things that we've talked about ever since this podcast started is that comics are not distributed in enough places. Um, and I would really love to see that this continues to break open uh, where comics are found, that we're not just finding them at the local comic book shop or at Walmart on some mystery aisle, but also at the corner drugstore. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see distribution open up, and I think this this helps further that opportunity. It does seem like DC is embracing, um, I think it was Random House, or maybe uh-huh. as you know, a, a, a distribution chain as well. So I think that's really great. I do think we'll see more comics in places that we don't normally see comics. I want to see yeah. them in the wild, Paul, in the wild. <laughs> well, and specifically Random House, they're not doing what they're calling the periodicals. The weekly comics aren't going through Random House. Oh, okay. O- only trades. Yeah, and still... uh, I think yeah. they should do more of like the uh, 100-page giants, you know, like the, the Archie Double Digest, that kind of thing. Yeah, they just need uh, the yeah. right price points on those because I, I think $10 I remember... is a bit much. I remember when I was a boy, I don't know if you guys remember these or not, but uh, Marvel had a whole series of pocketbook uh, reprint comics. So, you know, and that was the, that was the, uh, the, their paperbacks essentially, but it was from uh, pocketbook books or pocket books. Uh, and so you'd have like the first six issues of, of Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, and Marvel did that not too long ago too, uh, except... Archie actually printed and uh, distributed them for marble. Well, and they were, you'd find them like, you know, at the checkout aisle at the grocery store. That was the first place I ran into them. And I mean, it was, it hit me right between the eyes because that was when I first started reading comics as a boy. And, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like that impulse purchase, you know, at the, at the cash register where you, you know, annoy your mother enough to uh, let you buy the little paperback book. Um, I, 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 we need more of that in order to support this hobby. We can't c- continue to uh, support this hobby on aging comic book fans. Yeah, I really liked them when Marvel did it. They realized that wasn't their strength. That wasn't something they knew about. So they went to the publisher that has been doing this since, you know, I don't even know how long they've been doing it. They went to Archie yeah. and they made a deal with them because Archie both knew how to print in that format and distribute to get it out on the shelves. And I saw them, some of the Marvel ones, when they started doing it, you know, right next to the Archie ones. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity here, and I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see where this goes. And if there's one opportunity, it's something we haven't complained about in a while, because I think we've gotten used to it from a digital reader standpoint. Recently, uh, Amazon Prime Video made an update to their app and i don't know if you guys have noticed this but you know you used to when you're when you were cruising something on amazon video and you're like oh i want to see lady hawk <laughs> you, you you'd have to it, you, you look up lady hawk and it'd say oh basically go to amazon.com order this movie then come back and it'll be available to you they recently made an update to the prime video app you know through your roku or your smart tv or your xbox or whatever and it has in-app purchasing now 
just it's yeah. attached to your to your primary uh, billing account on Amazon, yeah. which yeah. is super convenient. And I really need them to reinstitute that with Comixology. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been years now that we've been talking about it, and it's been years since we've talked about it because we've just gotten used to it. To your point about you know, you go to Comixology.com every day. I go to my Comixology app every day, and if there was you know, if it loaded up to that sales page and I could just purchase yeah. it in app, oh my god, I'd be broke. Well, and you well, know why they don't do that? Because they do that in Android. I still use my Android app. I don't read on my phone, but I buy on my phone. Yeah, they just don't want to share the profits with. And maybe this is an iPhone, an iPad that, thing only, because it's Android. And I think if you, if I had a an Amazon Fire, it wouldn't be a problem. They just yeah. don't want to share the profits with Apple. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, multiple apps I've seen on the iPad that you can't buy directly through because people don't want to give Apple that money when the Android app has that parity. You, I, I think you it's actually the buy. other way around. I think it's the other way around. Apple doesn't want to share that money with uh, oh, with really? Amazon. Yeah, because because yeah. Apple would have to tip in. I'm sorry. No, you're right. It's it's Amazon tipping into Apple. I'm sorry. You're you're absolutely correct. You can just edit that out, Paul. <laughs> no, it's it's Daniel. <laughs> That's too much editing. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it, but it would be much more convenient as a as and someone would get more money. That's the thing. I feel like, at least from my standpoint, they both would get money that they're not getting now because I'm not going to comicsology.com every day and cruising the sales, but oh, I am yeah. going to my app and reading a comic or two. Now you know, uh, while we're on the subject, mm -hmm. there are so many things that are that are underperforming in the Comicsology app. Uh, and I'll, I'll compare it. I'll compare apples to apples. Um, Comixology and Audible are both owned by Amazon. Yes. Uh, Audible does a fantastic job of saying, "Hey, something in your wish list is on sale." Uh, you know, Audible pings you all the time. Hey, go add stuff to your wish list. You know, so that we can let you know what's going on with that and when new authors have things. I got a bazillion things in my wish list on Comixology, and never do I get a notice saying, "Hey, that's on sale," or "Hey, this 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 uh, writer that you like or this artist that you like has a new thing." Um, Comixology really falls down in that. Yeah, I'm with you. That's something kind of annoying because yeah. I do when I think about it, go into my wish list when there are a lot of sales going, uh -huh. and just see is anything marked on sale. But Audible and uh, Amazon. Anything on my wish list that goes on sale, I immediately get an email from them, exactly. and I know it's out there. And I don't understand why they don't do that. Why you know it, it's all an Amazon company? Why Amazon executives don't say, "Hey, Comixology, you guys need to get your shit together." Uh, I mean, I, I, that makes no sense to me at all. And last thing I'll say about the Comixology app, I still do not understand why I cannot Chromecast my comics to my uh, smart TV. That'd be cool. I uh, wouldn't it. And why? Why? Does it not have, you know, hey, these are the comics you own. You purchase these. And then it should be able to do some sort of slideshow presentation, you know, that you could just run, you know. And it's because it's all an Amazon company. You could run your Amazon Unlimited Music while your comics just sort of randomly scroll across the screen. I've got to imagine that the reason some of these things aren't happening is because the juice isn't worth the squeeze financially. Yeah, I just think it would make it awfully cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know there was desire for comics on the TV because that's something I don't ever do. The DC app, you know, you DC Universe, you can do your comics right there on the TV, and yeah, I don't yeah, want to do it. I want it in my hand. I do too, but 
you know, when you've got this gigantic monitor in your home, there are times where you're like, hey, honey, look at this, <laughs> you know, because, you know, sometimes I do. Sometimes I look at this page. This is awesome. I think that I think that for me, I think and Suzanne wrote a letter and said, please don't make this happen to Amazon. <laughs> I, I really don't care. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that, you know, we buy all this digital content that you really don't own. Right. You, 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 you buy the right to access it, but you have Comixology folded up tomorrow. You don't own anything. Um, I think that they should continue to make it valuable to you. And I think one of the values is, is your ability to see it in different places. I, I just, that's just me. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. So, well, I guess, uh, you know, hope, hopefully someone of import is listening to this and can make some changes. Do it. We're um, talking to you. You specifically, <laughs> Mr. Bezos. <laughs> we know he's a big fan. Friend of the podcast. Friend Jeff of the Bezos. podcast, Jeff Bezos. He funds us. I feel like I bought his boat. I mean, as much as I buy from Amazon and Comixology and Audible. Fair point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am glad that this is one feature I never want them to add is a historical purchase record. Um, a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be painful. Certainly, How certainly much did I spend one... in 2019? Oh, oh. Yeah. Have them do it year over year and just watch that line growing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, then, and, and certainly do not make it viewable by your spouse. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. this was a pretty light week in comics. Um, you know, we, we picked up a couple books, a couple 99 centers, things like that. Aaron probably spent $1,000 on sale books. But, um, you know, there, there is a, a DC comic super sale going on in comiXology right now. And I bought a lot of uh, Superboy single issues. I'm waiting Just for uh, Curse of the White Knight to go on sale so I can finally actually read it. But uh -huh, those uh -huh. books are still five bucks a piece. And yeah, that's, a, that's a lot of bucks. Yeah, yeah. Not, not for me. Um, but this week we all picked up Superman Action Comics issue 1022, The House of Kent Chapter 1 from Brian Michael Bendis, John Romita Jr., Danny Meeky. Um, and I, I, I just want to say one thing right off the bat. I feel like I'm okay with John Romita Jr. doing interiors. I feel like for a cover, they need a new cover artist. Because um, this is a garbage cover. Oh my god, it's terrible, yeah. isn't it? As an interior page, I feel like it'd be okay. But as a cover, I'm like, woof. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is spectacularly bad. There's nothing and, dynamic about it. It, it yeah. is just garbage. And for a book that it was as good as I felt like it was, uh, it, it really undersells the content of the story. Really, the the page with Superman, Superboy, and Kellex talking in the mm -hmm. Fortress of Solitude, that's a gorgeous page. That would have actually made a better cover than the cover yeah. that they used. The cover, the, 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 the art that was produced for the cover was is just not... It, it, they just need a different cover artist. You know, yeah. cover, sell a book, you know. Yeah. Especially, yeah. You know, and I'm looking at it, the cover looks John Romita Jr. You know, it just, it is that art style. It's what I expect out of him. Uh -huh. And the inside isn't at all. Like, I didn't realize it was him until you guys just mentioned it. I looked back at the artist. It is not the typical. I mean, there's a lot more curves. There's a lot less extra lines, and it actually looks good inside. Yeah, I think he was maybe partnered with a... I don't know who his... You know, if it's the same inker, same creative team, or whatever, but I, I found the interior art 
especially, I mean, there are some faces that are a little bit off, but there are some emotional scenes in this book that are actually sold by the art as well, which is, mm-hmm. you know, not common with John Romita Jr. lately. And I know we're hard on John Romita Jr. The dude's a legend, but, you know, he's definitely had a rough go of things these last since switching to DC. Yeah. Well, and he has a specific art style. And what I'm seeing inside, except for a couple of panels now that I look back through it, just doesn't look like what I associate with him for his art style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I thought the interiors were were, were quite solid. Uh, Except the, for and, one yeah, key thing for me. What's that? I could not tell the difference between Blue Beetle and Will Magnus. I had tro- difficulty there as well. I could not tell who was who from panel to panel. Prim- and I don't know that that's him as much as it is the coloring. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the shirt colors are similar enough that I really couldn't tell. Who, who yeah. was speaking in certain panels. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter <laughs> because it's, uh-huh. you know, it, it really could be either one of them. It's like a bunch of smart people in a room talking in co- in regular clothes. But, yeah. you know, you know where I'm I not felt a fan the problem? of Jimmy Olsen either. Oh. You know where I felt the problem was in this book? Hmm. Uh, not in the, uh, the art, not in the penciling or the inking, but in some of the writing, not all of the writing, but some of the writing. Uh, uh, the, the way Superman talks to his parents uh, towards the end of the book, where he he is just very formal uh, with his father and with his mother, uh, you know, he calls his father sir, which I, I absolutely understand at, at being being from Texas and raised to call everyone sir or ma'am. Uh, but you typically call your mother and father by, you know, mom, dad, mother, father. And you would only use sir when you are being corrected for something, you know, in relation to your parents. And certainly in the relationship that Superman has with mom, Pa Kent. And it just seemed really weird. And it pulled me out the, the, the uh, two, two or so times that that occurred in the book really bugged me. Well, and, and it I felt like I, somebody it felt like somebody writing that culture who doesn't understand it. I took it yeah. to be the nature of the situation. Um for for what it's worth, I, I felt like Superman was in an uncomfortable moment. He had Brainiac there, he had this guy claiming to be connected to him there. Um cuz Connor refers to them as Ma and Pa. Right? right? Con- Connor's yeah. interaction with them is different. It's Superman specifically. And for me, I took it to be this is an uncomfortable situation and I don't know how to address my, cause he doesn't hug them. He doesn't, you know, he just basically shows up and says, do you know this person? Um, <laughs> you know? And, and so I, I feel it, it was the nature it was, of the it, situation. It, it didn't feel uncomfortable for me. It just felt wrong. You know, yeah. it felt, it felt wrong for the character. And, you know, cause what, what Paul Kent says is as well, this, this is strange, Clark. He doesn't call him Superman. Well, he doesn't. Call, you know, he, he calls him by his first name, and Superman responds with, "You know, here's his son, his son who adores him. They have a a, a uniquely close relationship." And he says, "It is, sir. That is just not the correct way for these characters to interact, unless they were preserving a secret identity." You know. Yeah, and I I had some issues with Connor's portrayal as well. Connor was the kid. He was always the, you know, very active, very, I don't want to say fly off the handle or anger issues, because it's not like some of the other versions of the character. He is far too contrite here. 
Yeah. And and before we, we uh, delve deeper into that, let me back up a little bit because, you know, some of our listeners haven't read this book and they don't really know what we're talking about. This is uh, the follow up to the uh, story where uh, Superman is, you know, fighting, you know, uh, Apex Lex and all of his guys, and you know it's the conclusion of the current iteration of Leviathan, where Young Justice came in to help save the day, and this version of Superman meets this version of Connor Kent, and you know there's there's a whole bunch of weirdness going on here because some people remember Connor Kent and others like Superman do not, and you know Connor has revealed to uh, Superman that he's a clone, uh, a clone of Superman. I don't, I, it does not appear that he has revealed that he is also a clone of Lex Luthor. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, they, they're having this conversation. And so Superman takes him to mom, pa, because, you know, uh, Connor has revealed that, you know, in my world, I was raised by mom pa Kent because they're trying to figure out where he goes. What do we do with this guy? You know, if this is the right world for him to be on, where does he fit in? And he's like, well, you know, I used to live with your parents. <laughs> and when they arrive at the farm, Ma and Pa suddenly remember him, just like Tim remembered him and Wonder Girl remembered him. And, uh, you know, we we don't know why Superman has no recollection of him. Yeah, yeah which and- they do. They do on the very first page. He does tell him that Lex is the other part of his DNA. Okay. Uh, but I kind of compared it to when Wally came back. Yeah, it, some, it, it very much has that feel. Which, yeah, some know, characters do and don't remember him. Some interact and they get the memories. But I do want to say something in regards to that because I, I will say the moment where Ma and Pa recognize Connor, I loved that moment in this book. Oh, I, I cried. I teared up. I yeah. mean, I, I just I, that really got me that it 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 absolutely nailed uh, the feelings that I have for this character. I, you know, Superboy uh, out of the reign of the Superman after the death of Superman uh, back in the 90s was my favorite character to come out of those stories. Absolutely love this character. Yeah. And that moment, you know, it harkens back to one of my favorite runs in in comics, period, um, which is the Jeff Johns, Francis Manupol Adventure Comics Uh run. Uh, It didn't last very long. You know, Jeff Johns got shifted around. That was around the time that things really got... um, And never really ended. Yeah, never ended, (laughs) uh, you know, but was just so, so good when it started. Um, And so it it brought me back to that. Uh, And I really, again, love that book. However... My frustration with this that this entire book is that between Superman Rebirth and Doomsday Clock, I thought we fucking fixed this. Right. And you know, to see that we're still dealing with reboots and people not understanding and not remembering things, it's like can can we just like God, I thought we, we already like continuity is still broken. I I feel like we fixed continuity twice in the last two years can we just (laughs) fix it already there's something that i I find really sort of amusing in the context of this book as they're all talking about it and and that the the characters are aware that there have been these crises that have reset things and i think it's superman who makes the comment well we're all here and we're all okay so you know it's it's not a big deal And, and i'm like um we're not all here. <laughs> There's a lot of people who aren't with us any longer. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, his reaction to it was kind of, uh, well, the universe does what it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So but, I will say, having not been a regular reader of this book in quite a while, I did enjoy the Perry White stuff in here quite a mm-hmm. bit, too. I like what they've yeah. done to Steve... Um, Steve Lombard. Lombard. Lombard, thank you. Yeah. Not Trevor. <laughs> Different book. Yeah, it's Lombard usually annoys me, but in this case, I completely see where he's coming from. Yeah. You know, you understand his anger, whether he's, you know, wrong or right or whatever, you at least understand his motivation. And I really enjoyed him in this book, and I can't really say that about the character usually. I also, you know, along the lines of the newspaper story, I like that Bendis has made a case for the profitability of the Daily Planet. Yeah. You know, because one of the complaints that we had early on was you had these gigantic newsrooms, you know, that the, they'd show just, you know, you'd see 50, 60, 70 people in the newsroom, you know, working on a regular day. And you're like, um, there's not a newspaper in the country with that kind of staff. <laughs> You know, because people don't read newspapers anymore. But, you know, with all of the different headlines that the Daily Planet has been producing lately, uh, including, you know, Superman's uh, big reveal, uh, it has made the case for their profitability. I I enjoyed that very much in uh, in this issue. So, you know, talking about it, I I went and looked at uh, Adventure Comics (laughs) Um, which is not on that DC sale, damn it. Um, but yeah, it looks like it got derailed uh, by Blackest Night and then the um, the new Krypton stuff. Yep. And then just never never picked back up. But the first six issues, and really only about five of them, because uh-huh. yeah, there's Blackest Night uh, interjection there, uh, are, are really where it's at. So I do recommend you know rechecking that out if you never have, because it's a beautifully written, beautifully drawn book. Um, I used to have the trade paperback. It looks like the trade paperback is not available digitally, but the individual issues are. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed this book. I, you know, despite the uh, terrible, terrible John Romita Jr. cover and some of the things that annoyed me in the writing, I, I, I thought it was a really interesting book. I, I like. Issue. Yeah, I, I yeah. like. I, I like that there was not. I think in in uh, comics in previous years, when. Uh, Jonathan Kent, you know, the current Superboy, shows up to meet Connor Kent, the old Superboy. Uh, I think you would have expected the two of those guys to fight. Yeah, and I was Jonathan, thinking the same thing. And Jonathan immediately embraces him. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. Uh, you know, he wasn't threatened by, by him at all. And in fact, there's this great panel. It's like, look, I go to the future for a little while and you go get a new a new Superboy. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, but it's all said, you know, tongue in cheek. It, it was never a, a, a serious dig at his father. He also doesn't um, drop an F-bomb, but, you know, <laughs> oh, it's no, He totally did. Yeah, what <laughs> the fuck, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> sir? <laughs> yeah, well, and I will say, Connor does use sir once when talking he to does. I noticed it while we were talking about it. But it makes sense. It it's because he's talking sense. about something that he did wrong. Right. Yeah. I, it made absolute sense when Connor did it. It made no sense when Clark did it. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I dug the book. Big thumbs up. Uh, hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, we have uh, the newest issue of Batman. You know, we're, we're starting to get some of our normal titles back in comic shops. Uh, so Batman issue 92, which is counting down towards Joker War, which was actually advertised at the back of this book that we're talking about now. 
Um, so we're counting down to Joker War. Um, and speaking of Joker, we have a Joker 80th anniversary, 100-page uh, spectacular. Um, you know, this is, again, one of those 100-page books that has these super creative teams. This one has Brian Azzarello, Tony Daniel, Paul Dini, um, Denny O'Neill, Scott Snyder, Tom Taylor, Pete Tomasi, James Tinian IV, Raphael Albuquerque, Lee Bermejo, um, Michael Janin, Kelly Jones, Dan Mora, Ivan Rice, John Romita Jr., Tim Sale, Stepan Sayich, um, just like this great, great crew of people um, covered by Greg Capullo. Uh, I am very much looking forward to this one. Um, we also have new issues of Justice League and Undiscovered Country. And I believe we may try to revisit um, a classic, well, not, I wouldn't call it a classic, uh, uh, an older book. Um, I think we're going to try to reread DC's Metal in time for uh, Death Metal to start later this month. I think Death Metal comes out on June 17th, uh, and we're going to revisit the precursor to it and, in time to talk about that before Death Metal starts. Now, Paul, are we going to try and read metal, or are we going to read metal? Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> Thank well, you. I, I already read it when I got my DC Universe, so I'm covered. <laughs> I'm going to download it now <laughs> so that I can read it. I, I am going to uh, you know, bring those, the, bring those back to my iPad here shortly, so... Damn you, I have to read this damn thing all over again. <laughs> damn you. Damn it. Damn. So, all right. Well, I guess uh, we will do this again next week. Uh, you guys stay safe out there. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.